Welcome back to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. This is part two of our Something Wicked This Way Comes episode with special guest Sandra Kusturi. We now join our regularly scheduled program in progress. Something you might want to talk about, Troy, is the the idea of the original, the EC comics. You shared that. There was actually a link to it. There, they actually, someone had scanned it and it's on the internet and they actually show it. And it's so, it's kind of nice how it connects with, the, you know, the short story. Then there was that comic and then there was the right. uh, book and then the movie, and there's so much in that story and in that comic that relates to what happens in the novel. Yeah. Well, you know, here's one of the things, first of all, that, that again, shows you what kind of a guy Ray Bradbury was. Um, now, I don't I remember who, I, who, who wrote this, who said this. It might have been Forrest Ackerman. Um, I, I think it probably was. Um, but... Uh, as the story goes, Bradbury, who was a fan of all things genre, um, was, was a comic reader. And he came across uh, an EC comic where they had lifted one of, his, one of his stories. And he wrote to them, like I think it was like Vault of Horror or something. And he said, um, uh, could I please just remind you that there are certain similarities between this story and my own? Um, and I would appreciate it if uh, you could, uh, could you, if you could let people know that it's, there are these similarities and this perhaps really I should be credited for this. And uh, so what ended up happening was they were like, oh, okay, let's, let's do that. But they also then recruited Ray Bradbury to write stories for them or to adapt some of his own stories in uh any other EC titles. So you'll see at the end of that version, if you look up the Black Ferris uh, EC, um, the, the very last panel has the, I won't spoil the story for you, but it has the, I guess, the Crypt Keeper saying, well, hope you enjoyed this, boys and ghouls, and I uh, hope you look forward to more stories from Ray Bradbury in our next issue. <laughs> So it's funny, whereas that today that would just be highly litigious and somebody would crap on the publication and that would be it. Um, here's Bradbury kind of reaching out. You know, he's been plagiarized and and uh, he wants to make amends and make friends, basically. Um, well, that really speaks to the kind of person that he was, which is, you know, it's, it's really wonderful that he yeah. did that. And because rather than destruction, creation came of it. I think you're supposed to say, that's right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Sweet, <laughs> dude. Sweet. Um, well, you talked about that scene in the library as, as a great scene, but uh, one of the scenes, uh, it, it's always emotional for me, like this kind of thing. And it also happens sometimes in, in young adult novels where no one believes the kids. And even early on in the novel, they know that no one will believe them first of all all the odd things that are happening plus that 
that the, the, the person, the um, cougar who gets young and then steals, and it looks like, um, uh, you know, they're the ones that are going to be accused of it and no one's going to believe them. And this whole meeting with the father and the father, you know, them telling him all the things that are going on and he and and them not believing that he would believe them, but he does. And it's such an emotional moment for the kids to get that kind of affirmation from oh, their yeah. parents. Because so, because nobody listens to kids. I mean, at the best of times, and and here the worst of times. Oh, it's very Dickensian. At the best of times, the worst times. Um, and here it is. You know, there, Will's much older father, because of course that's a big plot point too. His age and and his own insecurity about that um, does actually believe them, and and they, and it doesn't become like a. Uh, I guess a plot point that everything else hinges on is that lack of belief um, because they deal with it relatively quickly because so often uh, writers use that as especially young adult novels where the kids are isolated Mm. from their parents, either by being orphans, that's a classic trope or by the fact that nobody believes what what's happening. And they're like, but it's vampires. And they're like, what pish posh. And no one listens and therefore (laughs) they're on their own. And in fact, but in fact, the opposite happens here, which I think is such a, a nice touch. Yeah. Um, I know earlier, Sandra, we were talking about the idea of, um, uh, other stories or shows, films, whatever that, uh, touch on carnivals. And uh, I don't know if anything comes to mind for you, but but there is one that is very Bradbury-like, and I can't, it's not Bradbury, and I do not remember who it is. I have it in an anthology. Uh, it's called uh, Levitation, and I believe it was also adapted for a Tales from the Dark Side episode. Is that um, the one where the guy floats off and never yeah. returns? Yeah, well, I love happens, that story. Yeah, same here. Yeah, the setup for it is... Um, uh, I guess a guy probably with some sort of uh, problem with scruples or morals or something <laughs> goes up and he's a, uh, he's a uh, volunteers for a, uh, a magic show. And uh, this guy, uh, yeah, starts to have him levitate. And then the magician, as he starts levitating, has a heart attack and dies and and you just see the body floating up in front of the moon and, and drifting off mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and we did touch on, you talked on the influence of Bradbury on King, but as I was reading it, the book this time, it really struck me. Like it really struck oh, yeah, me yeah. how many, like, yeah. Need, needful things is like, yeah. I think probably the oh, most uh, yeah. like obvious example, but even in uh, Dr. Sleep where you have, um, the woman in the hat, what's her name? Right, Rose the Hat, who's, Rose part, the hat. Of, who's part of the true knot. Yeah, the um, true knot, because yeah. that's like a traveling sideshow in a way yes. and 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 her like sipping on the you know the the shine off of children with talents yeah. and and drinking their te- their tears and their sorrow and like that's also kind of what uh cougar and dark do right and in terms of uh mr dark we basically get the man in black mm-hmm. uh from king mm-hmm. we get uh um walter odim uh all of these various sort of uh, mr dark type figures that keep yeah. reoccurring. And of course, in it, we get not just two kids, but we have a group of kids um, and we have a, a villain, an entity that feeds off of not uh, 
suffering. Well, yeah, suffering, I guess, and uh, but fear as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something from it's a clown, right? It could be something yes. from a carnival. Yeah, um, Pennywise the dancing clown. Mm. Uh, anyway, there's a, there's a lot of things, and, and and King's always been very open about that, and it's easy to see that this would be an influence because his whole thing too is like Bradbury, people first. You know, you have to have your people that you care about before you get into uh, the bloodshed. <laughs> yes. There's also the series Carnival. Oh, um, right. Yes. I loved that so intensely and was absolutely crushed when it got canceled. That was beautifully made. And do you know what I think, though, that that was made too early? Like it was, it aired too early. If it had aired in this sort of, um, post Game of Thrones and all these other genre shows uh, in in the world where like uh, people are just hungry for that stuff. I think it would have lasted longer. I mean, it had Clancy Brown in it. It was so great. Like the whole cast was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so do we want to move back to the book, David? Yeah, I think so. Um, we are, uh, I, uh, my alarm sort of went off. It just means we're getting into that 40 or 15 minute mark. So I thought we've got two uh, sort of, um, uh, big things left to take a look at. One is, of course, our gene casting and scream casting. But one we're trying out now is a segment that I'm calling These Are a Few of Our Favorite Words. Um, so we have quoted works before, but Troy and I thought it might be nice if we and our guests select three sections of the work that we are looking at, whether that be one line or one paragraph and read our selections. I uh, tried to keep mine to 50 words or fewer. Um, so these would be sections of writing that each of us wish we had written ourselves. Uh, these are words that move us either emotionally or just by their sheer brilliance. Uh, we may talk about why we think they are great and why we selected them. In some cases, it might be just how poetic they are, how evocative they are, how they capture and or describe an image, how they capture a moment. So I thought I might want to start with one if, or maybe possibly do all my three. I'm not sure if we want to just alternate. But I'll start with one on page 40 on, on my edition of the book. I probably have to tell you what the edition is because there are probably so many versions of the book that are out there. It's basically chapter nine, uh, and it's only 42 words. This is, I'll start right now. The trouble with Jim was he looked at the world and could not look away. And when you never look away all your life, by the time you are 13, you have done 20 years taking in the laundry of the world. That's so great. The laundry of the world. I just love that. Yeah. No one like him. Hmm. Now, should I do my other two? And then if someone, sure. and then if one of you want to jump in, this yeah. is from chapter 18. It's about, uh, it's 49 words. This is when they first uh, see the merry-go-round. I just love this description. They peered in at the merry-go-round, which lay under a dry rattle and roar of wind-tumbled oak trees. Its horses, goats, antelopes, zebras, speared through their spines with brass javelins, hung contorted as in a death rictus, asking mercy with their fright-colored eyes seeking revenge with their panic-colored teeth. Now, don't you guys wish you had written that? Mm-hmm. I love that fright-colored eyes, panic-colored teeth. It's so good. I am just so glad that he did because, you know, we get to read it, and I don't yes. get to read that kind of thing that often, and it's just incredible. 
Well, I've noticed the kinds of things he does because he certainly uses repetition. There's this one segment that he uses late and later and he uses versions of late about six or seven different times in a period of about 20 words. And it's just so brilliant. Uh, this is my uh, third uh, selection. It's only 25 words from chapter 21. Jim skimmed like a dark owl after a mouse. Will loped like a weaponless hunter after the owl. They sailed their shadows over October lawns. So good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll just, I just have a couple. And quite frankly, like, I, I think the, the opening of the book is just one of the most beautiful things I've read. This is just in the prologue, right? The, the very first line of the book. First of all, it was October, a rare month for boys. Not that all months aren't rare, but there be bad and good, as the pirates say. Take September, a bad month, school begins. Consider August a good month, school hasn't begun yet. July, well, July's really fine, there's no chance in the world for school. June, no doubting it, June's best of all, for the school doors spring wide and September's a billion years away. I think that's just mm -hmm. so great. Mm. And then talking about um, Jim and Will and their ages, because they're 13, almost 14. And he says, um, both touched toward 14. It almost trembled in their hands. Like, just that description. I, I love it so much. Oh, um, and oh, yes, here's another last one. Um, Somewhere not so far back, vast lightning stomped the earth. Somewhere a storm like a great beast with terrible teeth could not be denied. Mm. Nice. Chills, I actually have my hair standing on end on my arms. God damn you, Ray Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have another one, Sandra? No, that's it. Okay. I mean, there's, well, there's so many. There's yeah, so I many. Mean, I, I'm just going to... You know, it would be Troy, set, Troy it would can be you hold up line. your copy? I mean, I know this is a podcast and it's not a webcast. Can you hold up the part where you underline? Oh, I'm sorry, that's oh. every page. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, here's people like will be able to sense it, even yeah, just well, in your own voice like, of holding it up. There's like one page, like, <laughs> wow. yeah. I swear, I swear yeah. to God, like, there are probably no more than four pages without highlighting, and and towards the beginning, it's ridiculous. Um, so Sandra, I actually, you know, I, I had to start with, um, first of all, it was October as well. Um, I love great openings and great closings to books. I've had this little foible that, like always, ever since I've been a reader, where if it's a novel, I need to read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of the book before I start the book, like properly. <laughs> because I like to see if there's a symmetry or, you know, what kind of connections there are just within the two paragraphs. Oh, that's um, interesting. And, um, but that was one where immediately I knew that this was going to be one of the best books that I'd mm -hmm. ever read. Exactly. It grabs um, you from the first, like it, it, it gets you, it clenches you immediately. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a segment, uh, about the train whistle, which I'm actually not going to read the whole thing, but just his description of this sound of this train's whistle at night and how it sounds like all of the souls and all of the suffering of all time, basically coming to town. Um, and actually I think, uh, no, it wasn't there, but uh, it's hard, it's hard to like uh, equate that with the opening of the film, even though I do love the opening of the film. But once you are told what that 
train should sound like. It's hard to actually hear it in a film. Um, and actually, while I'm talking about films right now, what blows me away about this book is that it started life really as a screenplay, you know, in terms of its entire structure, because the first story was much, much shorter. It was basically just the premise of we have Mr. Cougar, and if he goes on the Ferris wheel, it will make him young, and then he can go do some crimes, you know. And obviously this novel is much, much more than that. Um, so it amazes me that we get such beautiful writing from what, began as a screenplay because screenplays are we're always told that it's really just supposed to be meat and potatoes description and then your dialogue um and it's so it's a different world from a screenplay for sure yet at the same time there are some points towards the end of the book where it's really action-packed and i feel like i am reading the description like jim runs here will does this and and they're, they're like paragraph sentences you know um so he knows when to do what. That's that's the great thing about the book. He knows when to make it speedy, but he knows when he can afford to slow down and take his time and just be wonderful. Um, so of course we've. I think we both mentioned this this bit because this is one that, as a writer, when I came across it, I was like, I can do that. And that's uh, chapter thirty-one. Where yes, all the chapter thirty. Yeah, is nothing much else happened all the rest of the night. And the yeah. great thing is my previous edition of that book, the par- the uh, chapters were like on separate pages. So it was just that on the page and it looked great. This version, unfortunately, crams it together, mm. um, but it's still... Uh-huh. It's still wonderful. Did you have something, Sandra? Yeah, just uh, well, I was struck by what you said that um, th- that the, that him doing that, and I remember reading that and I had the same reaction that, uh, you can you can do stuff like this. Right. Like, the, this is this is the thing that you can do. You don't yeah. have to follow the rules. And yeah. just that idea in itself was, uh, especially if you're a writer just starting out. That's it's like a mind blowing moment. Yes, it gives you license. Yes, you know? it's like yes. oh, I'm allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, really, um, you know, there's the the breakdown in the library of the autumn people that Charles Holloway reads. And again, it's such a wonderful segment. I don't really want to spoil it the first time by 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 hearing it. So I will let people go to that. But it's chapter 38 in my edition is page 142. And it just gives you chills as you learn about the history of the autumn people. Um, but it all just, oh, sorry. Here's one that I will give you um, from chapter 28. I just loved this this bit and it's indicative of so many other sections through the book um but in chapter 28 will and his father are talking it might be the scene where they're outside at late at night um and uh will says dad are you a good person and will holloway who's so self-reflective he says um to you and your mother yes i try but no man's a hero to himself I've lived with myself a long time. Mm-hmm. And at I am now in my mid-50s, and boy, does that resonate. Oh, yes. Yes, very much so. I mentioned to David as well when we, um, when we decided we wanted to do this. One of the things that makes this my favorite book of all time, or one of my favorites, is that I loved this book as a teenager, and I loved it because of Will. 
And then as I aged, I loved the book because of Charles. And the fact that this book is written with that kind of scope on the various characters and they, you're able to just enter into it. Well, um, the the book is, the book is like Narnia. The further in you go, the bigger it becomes. Now, Tell me, I don't know if you can address this or not, Sandra, partly because you you do love it so much. Is it in any way, would a young woman have an issue entering this world or no? Well, I mean, I didn't. Uh, there, there are certainly aspects of it that are dated now. Um, right. It's, uh, you know, it is of its time. Um, I didn't have a problem with it because the two main protagonists are kids. So it wasn't really, it didn't matter to me that they were boys. I still, there were still things that I understood and related to, um, you know, because I think when I read it, I was still a teenager, um, possibly a little older than, than Will and Jim. Um, but I still, but it spoke to me and the writing spoke to me. Um, and even, I mean, the way the thoughts of the children are expressed, I, I completely got that. I understood that on a visceral level. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what um, a, a young woman today uh, would think of this. Like, maybe they would just find it, uh, you know, too boy-centric. But the thing is that, you know... There are stories that are just for, if there are stories that are just geared toward women and meant for women, then, you know, then it should be okay to have stories that are just geared for and meant for men and boys as well. There's nothing mm. really wrong with that. And why well, should we not read things that are meant for other genders? Like, isn't understanding other people's point of view a wonderful thing? It increases exactly. conversation and ability to relate to each other. Well, before we push on towards uh, dream casting, I think at least on speaking for the three of us, suffice it to say it's, you know, we can say it, it's so good. It makes us want to say. Um. Thank you for that musical gem, Rachel Bloom. David, should we move on to uh, our dream casting now? Yeah, let's do it, because uh, we've got maybe 10 minutes left. Basically, dream casting is where David and I and our guests reimagine uh, the, uh, the parts from the novel or film, I guess in this case, and um, with reimagined actors. And in our first version of dream casting, you can have actors living or dead uh, in this. You can mix your uh, eras and uh, do what you need to do to achieve your dream cast. And then we follow that up with something even goofier. It's called uh, Outside the Box. That is what we're calling it, right, David? Outside the Box. We yeah, I, I at one point was trying to uh, rhyme it with dream and call it scream casting. <laughs> um, but I don't think that, I think that sort of died. So Outside yeah. the Box casting is probably okay. It feels like it has overtones of like uh, Schrodinger's cat. Yes. It's like we have a box, and aside from the box, is the cast alive or dead? (laughs) Yes, Schrodinger's cast is what we should call it. (laughs) (laughs) That I love. Anyway, 
it's um, <laughs> it's where, where we get nutty with uh, our outside the box picks, and that can be well. You'll see. You'll just see, won't you, sweetheart? Yes. Okay. Um, so uh, we have originally in these roles. Um, Will Holiday was played by Vidal Peterson. Jim Nightshade was played by Sean Carson. And it seems that these two boys did not really go on to do much else, even though they are fairly you know, good in the film. Um, we could not really dig up any more IMDb uh, parts for them. Charles Holloway is the uh, always amazing Jason Robards. And uh, Jonathan Price played uh, Mr. Dark, the illustrated man. Um, J.C. Cougar was played by Bruce M. Fisher. And David was the one who pointed out to me that the Dust Witch was Pam Greer. All these years, I had no idea. I had totally forgotten that. And and then I was like, oh, my God. And that was just such a nice surprise. Um, Miss Foley was uh, played by Mary Grace Canfield. And for some reason, I just got dyslexic, and I thought I saw the name uh, Brad Dourif there, which, which would have been cool if Brad Dourif was in this film. But it's uh, Tom Fury, um, and he was played uh, by Royal Dano. You can put uh, Brad Dourif in your dream casting. I, I would, and I do as often as possible. Hmm. So that's uh, the folks who are in the original film. Now, we're going to be looking at primarily uh, Mr. Dark, Charles Holloway, Will Holloway, Jim Nightshade, and the Night Witch, but we may have others for you as well. All righty then. Um, For Will Holloway, I had uh, Peter Billingsley um, from Christmas Story. Yeah. And I thought, how did he not get this role in the first place? And then he I even realized, looks like the kid. <laughs> yeah, and I realized that a Christmas story was probably made at the same time. They were both made in '83, and he may have been doing other things. Yeah, but but so in in my new uh, multiverse version of this film, Peter Billingsley will be Will Holloway, and he's blonde as well. Yeah. You don't have to don't have to dye his hair. Yeah. Um, then we've got Jim Nightshade. Um. And I had, from 1983, I went with Henry Thomas. So this oh, could have yes. been his follow-up role to, to E.T. E.T. Uh. Um, and I liked sort of, he plays distraught very well. Yes. Um, anyway, so he was my Jim Nightshade. But also spunky, like, like yeah. Jim Nightshade should be. Then uh, Charles Holloway, who... I know I, I quite liked, like it was hard for me to get around Jason Robards and David did make a good point that he thought originally he was kind of young or sorry, old for the part. And I sort of rationalized it as being almost like impressionistic casting that, mm. that uh, Robards almost looks maybe the way Will imagines him to be. Um, anyways, let's get on to our new um, Charles Holloway. So I went with Martin Sheen, Cert, uh, circa Wall Street and American President era. So I guess that's late okay. 80s, early 90s as uh, Holloway. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, and I have to do mine then, Sandra, right? Because that's how we have done If that's okay, Sandra. Of course. Um, what I've got, and I don't want to give away my, my ones further down, is because I've already written this, but I have for Will Holloway, I have Anthony Michael Hall 
from weird science, but he's, I know he's slightly a bit too old in that role. So we'd have to find him if he's done work before that, because the character should be about 13. I think he was 16 or 17 or so when he was in weird science, Jim Nightshade. I have Will Wheaton from stand by me. who's about the right age. And I thought, I thought about be, Will. Yeah. And I actually thought of Henry Thomas at one point. And then for uh, Charles Halloway, I have Cary Grant, who was just about the right age when he did North by Northwest and Houseboat. Because they mentioned that he was 40. The father was 40 when he had Will and that Will's 13. So therefore, he would be about 53. So Cary Grant was like somewhere between 55 and 56 or so when he did those roles. Uh, I had for Will Holloway, uh, Haley Joel Osment. Uh, from uh-huh. his sixth sense uh, uh, era, or uh, yeah, yeah, a little, maybe a little bit older. Um, and for Jim Nightshade, I had um, Lucas Hawes uh, from, remember from Lucas uh, with a K. Uh, and uh, and he was, he became famous for uh, being the kid in Witness. Um, although he's a bit young and witness for this, he would have to be the slightly older version of him. Um, but weirdly, I also had uh, had put maybe Will Wheaton, but in the Will Holloway role. And I would have loved to see Will Wheaton and River Phoenix play those both those parts because I love them together so much in Stand By Me. Mm. Uh, and for Charles Holloway, uh, Viggo Mortensen. Um, and I also had a potential uh, Mark Rylance. Uh, whom was a British actor, maybe best known for Angels and Insects or Wolf Hall. He's the one, another one that popped into my mind because I think he has a just he has the right face for it, and he's got great acting chops. It just occurs to me that um, that Henry Thomas, adult Henry Thomas, might be great as Charles Holloway as well. I love him mm-hmm. in all of the Mike Flanagan. Yes, uh, works that he's been in, including yes, so uh, Doctor Sleep and um, The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. All right, are we back to to me, David? There. All right, yeah, Troy. If you want to do the the, the three more evil uh, characters, even though I guess they may not consider themselves you, I always think that evil characters do consider themselves you. They know what they're about. So go <laughs> ahead, Troy. What do you got? Well, to me, I feel like I'm being overly obvious here, but I couldn't really think of anybody else. And that was uh, Tom Hiddleston. I, I felt uh. like Tom Hiddleston, like, to me, is almost like Jonathan Price of that. that yes, vintage. there's a, a gleeful wickedness about him. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I'm, this is, I know it sounds almost a little bit more outside of the box. And I think it's the mustache. But I'm thinking of uh, Will Ferrell doing a serious role as. as <laughs> um, that would gonna, be amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go with that because he can play intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the Dust Witch I had is uh, Halle Berry. Oh, nice, nice. I'm going to say nice also. Sorry, we're throwing it right back in your yeah, face. It's always nice. serve it. We're I just going to say nice all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> then the knights who say nice, but um, <laughs> so for mine, um, uh, for dark, I have Alan Rickman in his role in Die Hard. Ooh, thought, that's a good one. Yeah, because he just is that character. Yeah. Uh, for Cougar, I picked Wilfred Brimley from John Carpenter's The Thing. 
uh, just because he sort of looked sort of that part. And uh, I had for the dust, which uh, Lena Hetty, if that's how you pronounce her, her name. I think so. Um, she was a Cersei in Game of Thrones oh, yeah, and in various good. other things. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. she would be excellent Dustwitch. All right. So um, for me, I had uh, I actually had several for Dark because I was I could not decide. Um, I thought Robert De Niro in his Lewis Cipher in Angel Heart uh, oh, role, yeah. where he has like the long nails and long hair and he's just so sinister. Um, and I also thought, uh, David Suchet, who's probably best known for Poirot. And it's, it's interesting because that's such a fussy character, but I've seen David Suchet do other things where, uh, he plays a bad guy and he's really, really quite scary. Like he does that very well. And then here's a crazy one. Um, just for the suaveness, Clark Gable. Which uh, I thought would be yeah. casting against type, mm. but I thought it'd be interesting. So for mm. Cougar, I thought uh, Paul Bettany. And uh, for the Dust Witch, um, again, I was torn. I thought Eva Green would be great because I've seen her do other witchy things and she's always so delightfully, you know. Yeah, uh, Pen- Penny Dreadful. Yeah, Penny Dreadful and also that the the very very badly made golden compass movie but she's wonderful in it um and charlotte rampling i thought charlotte rampling would be good okay and we're on to troy for the final two which are supporting more of supporting characters more i guess on the neutral side of things but still important to the story we've got miss foley and tom fury well, I, I just wanted to go back to Sandra for a second. I, I loved her Clark Gable casting there. Mm. And um, it sort of got me thinking, too, that I wouldn't mind Robert Mitchum as, as Dark. Oh, yes, um, especially Night of the Hunter, Robert Right, Mitchum. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then throw in a bit of uh, the menace from uh, Cape Fear. Yes, and, yes. Uh, oh, my God. That would be a, it would be a, a true horror film. Yes, um, definitely okay. would be. So I'm up with Miss Foley. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I've been given a detention by Miss Foley. Yes. <laughs> uh, for whispering. Um, I, I don't know if I can actually rationalize this, but I went with Renee Zellweger. Huh. I thought that she could, uh, you know, I guess she's probably not quite there where she could do it without the makeup, but I thought they could probably play her both ways if they needed to as the younger. Uh, right. Miss Foley, as well as the older, just again with lots of makeup and CGI. Um, and I went with Tom Waits as Tom Fury. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. Love, love me some Tom Waits. Uh, that's fantastic. It's better than nice. <laughs> All right. So I have for Miss Foley, Winona Ryder. Uh, from Stranger cool. Things. She's getting to the age now that she could be the old Miss Foley, and then they would have to yeah. do something with, with for her to look younger. I also liked her as the mother of Spock in the reboot of the Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and for Tom Fury, I have Julian Richings. That's a great choice, too. He's got nice. such a wonderful... Oh, God damn it. Yeah, he's got such a wonderful character face. Like He's so good. He's so good. Um... I had um, for Miss Foley uh, Debbie Reynolds. 
Oh, there you go. And, winner, winner. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then I had uh, for Tom Fury Humphrey Bogart. Um, because again, mm. he's got that sort of old face. But because you said Julian Richings, um, I thought um, uh, it just made me think of. Uh, oh, I've gone completely blank now. Um, who's the character actor? He's in Pontypool. He's the main character in Pontypool. Oh. Uh, uh, um, I know who you mean, Stephen McCaddy. Stephen McCaddy. Mm. Mm. I think mm. he would be great as Tom Fury as well. Okay, Troy, we should go on to uh, the unusual casting, what we call outside the box or scream casting. So for your first three, the sort of the protagonists, the two uh, 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 friends and uh, Will Will and Jim and uh, Will's father, uh, Charles Holloway, um, who do you have? Okay, well, let's remember that this uh, encompasses all possibilities here. So for Will Holloway, I went with Jodie Foster from 1974. Oh, nice. Although it could have been, I also thought about Tatum O'Neill, but I stuck with Jodie Foster of 1974. Yeah. Uh, so James, Jim Nightshade, I went from 2010, Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I just, because again, I was thinking a lot about how you know, how it could be received by a female audience, maybe if there was a gender reverse. So uh, that's what I did. Uh, and Charles Holloway, I went with uh, 2006 Jodie Foster. Interesting. And I figured then we would have the bloodline there too. There would be a, oh, yeah, a, a yeah. similarity. Because <laughs> we can do magic and make it happen. That's right. In my outside the box, I have gone to the classic Trek episode, Miri, and I've taken people in that episode and have populated the film with it. So for Will Holloway, I have Michael J. Puller, who played, I guess it was John or, or um, Jan or whatever. I haven't seen the, the, uh, the episode in so long, I can't remember how it's pronounced, but he is the main kid that is the bully and sort of uh, you know runs the whole show just about. So he's the main uh, character outside of Kim Darby who played Mary. And guess who Jim Nightshade is? Well, that's Kim Darby who played Mary. And then for Charles Halloway, who is Will's father, well, that's James Doohan who played Scotty. So those are my three for outside the box for the three of uh, uh, protagonists. Thank you. Interesting. I did. Um similar to what you did troy i wanted to have sort of like a gender bending interesting uh uh and and i wanted to go with uh people who could often be seen as quite androgynous so you could really read it um however you wanted so so, um for will holloway i had elliot page uh aged down to be the correct age for that okay um for uh jim nightshade i had timothy chalamet chalamet um, I don't know how you pronounce it, how you pronounce I think it. It's Chalamet, I think. Chalamet. Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Charles Holloway, Glenn Close. On Detroit. Okay. More outside of the box from me. So we're starting with, uh, with Mr. Dark. Uh, I decided to go with from 1939, Margaret Hamilton. 
And your little dog too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, fuck a duck. I don't have a cougar again. Okay, let me get one quick. You please leave in okay. fuck a duck. I'm yeah. I'm going with Larry Tate from Bewitched, played by uh, David White. And supposedly he also played uh, Peter Parker's boss, and that is... J. Jonah Jameson. Jameson. Right, in the god-awful TV version in the 80s. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and the Dust Witch I had from Peanuts Pigpen. (laughs) That's perfect, because surrounded by dust, of course, of course. Exactly. Wow. Uh, wow. I think you may have won the whole kit. Yeah. Doodle. Okay. So for me, for Dark, I've got Leonard Nimoy played Spock in that episode. Uh, Miri. That works well. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is still Miri. This is all Miri. And I've got, as Cougar, I've got William Shatner. And nice. the Dust Witch, Grace Lee Whitney. Oh, Yeoman um, Janice. Yeah, and I was also thinking of possibly, I'm not sure if she was in uh, the episode, but Nichelle Nichols. Oh, yeah, that would work, too. Um, yeah. Vernas, Vernas. All right, so so my uh, outside-the-box casting uh, for Mr. Dark, um, the amazing, the miraculous Tilda Swinton. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. And for Mr. Cougar, of course, David Bowie. Oh, and uh, what 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 era? Like what year of David Bowie? I was thinking, like uh, y- you know, possibly Space Oddity era, or maybe Labyrinth era. Oh, you know? oh, oh so, yes, yeah. I think maybe Labyrinth era might be better, just because he's a little older there. Oh, I know. So every time he goes on the carousel, he comes out a different David Bowie. <laughs> yes, he comes out with like the shocking red hair of. Um, what was it when he had the oh, Ziggy Stardust? Ziggy Stardust, yes. Mm. Anyway, um, and then the Dust Witch. Um, I thought uh, Jay Davidson from Crying Game. I did consider consider just uh, having uh, a Dirt Devil play the Dust Witch. <laughs> wow, because she doesn't have too many lines. <laughs> That's true. I actually was. Uh, I I would. With any of these actors, and they should have done this for Pam Greer too. I would have made that a bigger role, because I mean, it is a bigger role in the book. Um, yes. But anyway, so last two, Troy, Troy, Troy. Okay, uh, Miss Foley should actually be in Dora from Bewitched. Ah, yay! I'll just, I'll just go with that. <laughs> and Tom Fury will be Uncle Arthur. That's fantastic. But which is Paul in, of course. Mm. That would be really funny. I would definitely buy a a, a lightning uh, rod from from Paul Lynn. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic um, choice. Now, what I went with with Miss Foley was Major Barrett Roddenberry. Oh, nice. uh, Yeah. Who played uh, Nurse Christine Chapel. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if she appeared in that actual episode of Miri. I'd have to give it a rewatch. And then for Tom Fury, I had DeForest Kelly, who played Dr. McCoy. They'd actually be good in those roles. I could see yeah, them they doing would. that. Yeah. Um, anyway, for me, um, I thought uh, for Miss Foley, Gwendolyn Christie uh, from Game of Thrones, famously, uh, Brienne of Tarth. Um, 
And for Tom Fury, I thought uh, Jared Leto. Leto? Jared Leto? Leto? I'd never get that right. Um, but then I thought how fun would be if you reversed those and you had, uh, you had uh, Jared Leto as Miss Foley and then Gwendolyn Christie as Tom Fury. So I think oh, so either yeah. way, either way, you could, you could, because they, they both seem quite androgynous, but you, yes. they could reverse their roles there and it would be perfectly fabulous anyway. Great, great choices, Sandra. Thank you. I think you guys had them too. This is so fun. I think we should cast everything. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, final question about um, our Something Wicked This Way It Comes episode uh, for um, Sandra. Is there anything that you picked up, say, in the last five or ten years about the novel or just Ray Bradbury that you didn't know before that surprised you when you learned about it? Hmm. I don't really know that I did. I mean, um, I think honestly, like just some of the stuff we've talked about here today, uh, there were some things that I didn't know that you guys have talked about. And uh, it's always delightful to learn something new about that. Like, you know, Ray writing to so many, you know, writing to young authors and encouraging them and things like that. I did. Well, I don't know that that really surprised me, but it was a nice thing to learn. So I don't think I have anything else other than that. Is there anything uh, that you want to share with us, Sandra, that you're working on or uh, any, uh, any plans, any things you want to promote or just let the world know about? Well, I did, um, I think as David mentioned in my bio at the start, I did win second prize in the, uh, uh, the new quarterly magazines, Nick Blatchford uh, um, um, occasional verse contest. And that was for my poem specializing in the prehistory of Wales. Uh, which I've been sending out and sending out. Nobody has won it. Now it actually won this prize. So I was actually quite thrilled about that. That's and, great. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I'm still I'm working on my, my third book of poetry and on a novel. There's a novel that's been in progress for a while and a story collection that's been in progress for a while. But I am kind of thinking that I had this idea for a novel involving, involving Harry Houdini and Kali cults that I thought would be... Huh a weird, interesting thing to write. So I'm reading up a bit on, on Harry Houdini right now. And, and I mean, I love the idea of, you know, stage magic versus real magic. Like I'm always fascinated by that. Like, uh, you know, I'm reminded of Clive Barker's uh, story, the last illusion with Harry Damore and the difference between it's like, no, 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 I'm not a magician. I'm an illusionist. Because a magician is a person who does magic, and that's a whole other thing. And so I'm very drawn to stories about that kind of thing. Thanks so much, Sandra. Really glad you could make it. Thank you so and, much for uh, having me. It's been a delight. Yeah, yeah, it's been thanks great a lot. Insights. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent, Sandra. Thanks so much. This was this was better than nice. <laughs> I had fun. I had fun. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been great to be able to do this. Yeah, and we are planning on doing uh, more down the road because Ray Bradbury has such a history, and it's, uh, we could just do a podcast just on his short stories. Oh, um, the Velt? Beyond, yeah, The uh, Velt is incredible. That's just so. one of the greatest short stories ever. Yep. So anyways, that's our Something Wicked This Way Comes episode. See you all for our next podcast episode of two old farts talk sci-fi
mean it's on a book.